So, so welcome guys. Welcome to the Brand Identity Design Business Podcast. We appreciate your patience. And my name is Jason. I'm your host. I'm, I'm a self-taught brand identity designer myself. That's why I named the show right after my profession. So we are currently doing this interesting series, uh, which I call The Dark Side of Entrepreneurship. And the aim of my show is to educate entrepreneurs throughout the world about business share ideas, recommend strategies on how to deal with adversities while you run and manage your business. And the, re- and the way I do this is by interviewing high-level business executives who are willing to share their personal and professional experiences with my listeners. My podcast, funny, you know, it's a funny thing is that I started around a year back and I didn't expect to be in the top 30%, but my podcast is in the top 30% of the most followed podcasts in the business category. And it's also heard in over 23 countries, not just that. I'm also on the top 5% of the most shared podcasts on social media. For some reason, I have no idea why, but I think, you know, there's something which I'm doing which people are admiring and and liking for sure. So I assure you, this is not going to be just another business talk show. We will be injecting a healthy dose of humor and personality to this mix. And you'll be learning a lot about entrepreneurship. So sit back, relax, get ready to laugh and learn with us. I would like to take a moment and I wanted to actually acknowledge what is happening around the world, especially in Syria, uh, and in Turkey, and and I I'm sure many of you may have actually gone through the news about the death tolls have crossed around eight thousand three hundred due to the earthquake. So, so I've been I've been following uh you know this, uh you know I I follow the British Red Cross, uh nonprofit association, and according to the insights and highlights which they have given us, it it shows that there were two earthquakes. One was a magnitude of 7.5 and the other one was, the first one was for 7.8 and the second one was for 7.5 magnitude. And it has caused catastrophe uh, or huge amount of damage uh, in Syria as well as in Turkey. So my my heart goes out to those who have been affected uh, by this devastating earthquake in Turkey and Syria. The loss of life and destruction is absolutely unimaginable. And we are sending our condolences to all those who have lost their loved ones. Our thoughts and prayers are also with the rescue workers and volunteers uh, you know, who are working tirelessly in these challenging climatic conditions, not only to save lives, but also to help the injured and those who are in need. So as a team, uh, you know, my business and my team and my podcast, and I'm sure my listeners also, we hope to stand in solidarity uh, with the communities affected and who are committed uh, to doing what we can to support this relief fund. Uh, you can actually show support uh, by donating to the British Red Cross Association. There's a QR code you will see right in front of my screen. Uh, if you're watching us on YouTube or LinkedIn, 
feel free to scan this code and you can donate directly uh, to the British Red Cross who is doing humongous things to show support. If you're on the audio version of this broadcast that Spotify, Google, Apple, or even on LinkedIn or Twitter, you should be able to find this under the event uh, notes. So I don't want to take too much of, a, of your time. Let's actually deep dive into this conversation because I'm really excited for what we're going to discuss with Sarah. Uh, so today's topic is navigating the endless sea of critics uh, with Dr. Sarah Glover, and 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 thank you so much for joining us for this en engaging and informative podcast. We will discuss challenges on our uh, challenges of entrepreneurship and the importance of developing strategies for success in the face of an endless sea of critics. Uh, Dr. Sarah will share her personal experiences and insights on how to handle criticism, negative feedback in this business world. So let me actually give you a quick uh, heads up on who Dr. Sarah is because you need to know who the person I'm interviewing. Uh, Dr. Sarah is the CEO of an award-winning e-learning media firm, uh, it's, it's called as Reify Media. I, Dr. Sarah, I hope I'm, I have not butchered the name, right? Is Reify Media. Awesome, awesome. So Reify Media, and she has spoken from California directly to Qatar on topics ranging from business and entrepreneurship, on tech trends, smart city initiatives. Uh, Reify Media is also an award-winning firm as a recipient of both gold winner and bronze as well from horizon interactive awards and a leader in diversity award from the triangle business journal also sarah was also honored with the paul harris fellow recognition by the rotary international for her work on a children's book uh, called swears uh, swears holiday express adventure and on the holiday express sponsor partnership uh, Dr. Sarah writes a tech uh, writes as a tech journalist for the Southern Southern Eastern Media Group, uh, W A R L W R A L Tech Wire, uh, and was also named the 2021-2022 Public Policy Advocate of the Year uh, by the Women Entrepreneurial Association, called NAWBO, which is uh, also known as the National Association of Women business owners. Most recently, Sarah, uh, Dr. Sarah was appointed by the Raleigh City Council to serve three years of term uh, on the city's community engagement board. And, and Sarah, Dr. Sarah has done her PhD from North Carolina State in instructional technology and previously taught technical writing to engineers, business undergraduates. She also works closely with students as a guest lecturer and mentor for many senior design projects. So I want you to guys to make some noise. I know, I know you guys are virtually, but you know, make some noise for Sarah because she is pretty cool. So thank you and welcome Dr. Sarah to this phenomenal conversation we are having, even though we had a little technical glitches in the beginning. I appreciate your patience here. Oh gosh, no, thank you so much, Jason. And can I just stop you though? Because you just did this lovely introduction and that was so nice, but... Um, I just want to flip it back to you for a second, if that's okay. I'm just, I'm so impressed with your work. And I know you've heard me say this before, but I just really admire what you've done. You've celebrated this one year anniversary of your podcast that you've started. It's just watching you be so successful with that has been really fun. The fact that you've reached this Spotify top 30 rank. Um, and I'm seeing you sign up these amazing thought leaders for the next season, for your senior floor, season four. 
Um, I also want to just call out behind the scenes. You have done so much to prepare me for this conversation. We've thought really carefully about this topic and what we want to talk about. I've been on some really wonderful podcasts in my career, and it's taught me how much work goes into behind the scenes when a podcast goes well. And so I just want to call you out for all the work that you do to make this happen. It's, it's impressive. So thank you for having me, and thank you for all the great work you do. Well, nobody has actually said that to me. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, I want to thank you for sharing and giving me like an honest feedback because I appreciate that you understand uh, doing a live show is very hard mm-hmm. and uh, you have to have like a certain level of mindset to make sure that you ha- can handle the trouble, troubleshoot things, sort it out uh, because there is no going back. You know, it's just live. So... Anyways, you know, I appreciate I appreciate this very, very much. You know, so Dr. Sarah, I'm really interested in knowing more about you. So I know you have like a teaching background. So my first question to you mm. and for my listeners is going to be related to that. Okay. How did the art of teaching uh, shape your life and contribute uh, to your development as an exceptional speaker? And you are an exceptional speaker because... I have seen countless videos which you have done on YouTube and I highly recommend, you know, guys, if you're listening, go on YouTube, just put uh, Dr. Sarah Glover's name and you should be able to find <laughs> tons and tons of interviews and content and all of them are pretty cool. So please check it out. So let's hear that from you. I want to really know uh, your point of view on that. Yeah, this question about how the art of teaching has shaped my life. Well, I, I love this question. It's really fitting. I'm actually at a university today. Um, I was teaching today. I was, I was a guest lecturer today. Um, and I did that and then jumped into your podcast. So I'm in this beautiful university setting today to answer that question. Um, but I think, you know, teaching doesn't just happen on university campuses or in schools or in training rooms. That's not the only place that it happens. I think, I think most of us have taught in some form or another, you've taught, you've taught your friend how to play a board game. You've taught your parents or your family members how to adapt to a new technology, or um, you've taught someone at work a hack for doing something more efficiently. We've all been in that place where we were the teacher. And so I think we can all relate to this idea that it, it can be really rewarding and really validating to pass on what you know to someone else. But I think for me, the most fun is when I'm learning too. So if you think about it, like Jason, say you have a chance to teach someone else design thanks to the expertise you have. Maybe you teach them how to design something. And maybe maybe as you're teaching them their feedback and their questions, that actually goes and teaches you something. That's my favorite part. Of teaching. And I learned really early on as an instructor that if I'm doing my job well, then I'm learning too. The worst mistake I can make in teaching is thinking that I know everything, thinking that I'm gifting others with my knowledge, that it's this one-way transaction from someone who knows something to someone who doesn't. No, it, it doesn't work like that, or it shouldn't. Um, It's collaborative. 
we work together. We talk about what we're learning and I know it's working if I'm learning too. So I take that lesson that it should be a collaborative process. I take that with me um, really and almost – honestly, Jason, I would say that I take that lesson in everything I do, not just with teaching, but in everything I do, I try to look at it that way of making sure it's collaborative, that it's not this one-way not this one-way transaction. It, it is definitely not a one-way transaction for sure. I, I totally agree with you on that front. And yeah, but I see the thing is not everybody has the skill set of teaching. Like I, I know how to like, I'm like a sponge. I know how to suck things in and apply things for myself. Mm. But I, I would not be in a position to actually teach and educate others, no matter how much I try. I don't think everybody fits that bill, right? You know, I, I don't fall under that category mm. of teaching. So, so my question was, my follow-up to that question on what you said is that if I'm just a sponge and I just soak things in and I don't give it out... <laughs> Do you think I can be yeah. like a good speaker such as yourself? Do you think there is a probability? <laughs> Absolutely. I, lo I love that you asked this follow-up question, Jason. Thank you so much for it because I do think that you can be a teacher. I do not think that you're just a sponge. I think that the way that our society treats folks who teach and who speak, we kind of put them on this pedestal and we talk about it in a way of like, oh, this person is a really good speaker. And then I will hear people say all the time, oh, I'm just not a good speaker. I'm, I'm not good at speaking. And I think what we have to remember is it's not a personality trait. It is something that anyone can learn. It's a skill just like anything else. And I I genuinely believe that with everything I have. Now, I'm not saying that it's not easier for some folks or that some folks might be born with certain talents that make it easier, but I genuinely believe that anyone can become a good speaker. And I think we make a mistake when we say that only certain personalities can speak. I think our society rewards people who are really, uh, who have big personalities and who can kind of come out on stage and be these like, big personality presenters and like capture a room. But I have to tell you, some of the best speakers that I've seen in my lifetime are actually folks who are quiet and very thoughtful about what they say. Some of my favorite speakers don't use slides. They don't use any kind of visual aids. They're able, because they're really passionate about the content, to capture the audience's attention. So what I would say back to you is I think anyone who has a good story to tell or a good experience to share or anyone who's learned some certain information that others might find helpful, anyone can be a good speaker or teacher. The key is switching your focus onto the audience. So instead of thinking, you know, what do I want to say? How do I want to say it? How do I want to sound? Do I have the personality for this? It, it's who can I help with this information that I have and how can I organize it in a way that they can understand it and remember it. And as soon as you start doing that, you become one of the top speakers. Just that shift in your attention over to the audience, you can become a top speaker. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I'm, I'm going to pay close attention to myself and see how things progress ahead in my career as a speaker. Uh, but you know that that was mind blowing. So thank you so much, doc, uh, Dr. Sarah, for sharing that. So I know why people are here. So thank you so much for all the nine listeners listening to us live on LinkedIn. I have no idea how many people are watching us on video stream, but thank you, thank you for the love and support. So let's deep dive into this conversation about criticism. So how can mm -hmm. businesses 
use criticism as a catalyst uh, for you know let's say problem solving or innovation and the second part of that question would be so it's like a two part question so my second part of that question would be can criticism be a positive change for businesses and if so how can business owners mm. leverage it to their advantage if you get what i'm trying to say two part questions mm. maybe we can address one yeah, thing yeah absolutely yeah these are great questions and i love i love a two part question so we can take it one part at a time so maybe maybe what we'll, what i'll address first is this question of you know can businesses use criticism and turn that criticism into opportunity which is is a great question i'm also hearing you in that second part kind of ask how like the practicality of how business owners can do that but we'll we'll get to that let's do the first part so can businesses use criticism can they turn that into opportunities and i think the answer of course is yes but it's not it's not quite that simple so okay let's do a simple exercise let's say uh, somebody leaves you or your business a negative review online uh-oh, right? They leave you like a one-star review. They say your service wasn't good. That would be some negative feedback. Um, if you look at that as an opportunity, then you might try to investigate that customer's experience, learn what went wrong, and, and try to improve. It might also inspire you to start asking customers for reviews. That way you can get some positive reviews on there to improve your rating. Uh, and that might lead you to more feedback. You could definitely learn. So that's an example of, sure, good things can come out of that criticism. But, and this is a big but, <laughs> um, I think it often really depends on how the criticism is shared. And I think it depends on whether the business owner has the resources to deal with that criticism. And I say business owner, but if it's not the entrepreneur who's getting that feedback, maybe you're a team member within an organization, then it depends on the resources you have as a team member to deal with that criticism. And we can dive into that more. I'd love to dive into this idea of, you know, when should we give criticism? When is it appropriate? How can people use the resources they have to deal with criticism? But to stay with your question, I want to get to this part of how the practicality of how business owners can turn criticism into an opportunity. And for me, it's this idea of thinking about your work as practice. We use that word a lot with things like, like yoga, right? Like we talk about a yoga practice. When someone is practicing yoga, they're not picturing that every session is going to go perfectly, right? They expect that they're going to have some challenges and that they're going to learn from those challenges in every yoga session because they're practicing yoga. It's a practice. Um, Dr. Amanda was on your show recently talking about neural coding uh, she blew my mind. I learned so much from that episode with her. <laughs> but even Dr. Amanda, with all of her expertise, right, she said that what she loves about her work is that it's never done. She's always learning. And so if we, whether we're entrepreneurs or whether we're thinking about our work, if we can think about our work in that way or our businesses that way, then then we're never done. It's never supposed to be perfect. It's a practice. We're not supposed to be perfect. We're supposed to be learning. And so in that way, all criticism is an opportunity because if we're practicing, then that criticism is an opportunity for us to say, oh, well, thank you for drawing my attention to that. I'll look at that. I'll see where there's room for improvement. 
Um, now I mentioned it really, it really, really depends on how the criti criticism is shared and whether the person involved has the resources to be able to to address that. So we can talk more about that. But well, overall, to answer your question, it's it's yes, yeah. I I love your answer and and I I think it makes total sense uh, because you have to really be sure that you have the capacity, resources, threshold to handle these criticism. And, and if, if, there, if there is criticism which has been given, you need to evaluate, uh, you know, how you can deal with it. And I like the yeah. fact which you said uh, that it's all about practice. If there is an opportunity there. So if you shift the focus, uh, you know, not really worrying too much about the impact it caused the criticism, look for what is the opportunity which is out there and what is that, you know, you or I can do uh, to make it work for you or uh, have yeah. some sort of improvement. So that makes total sense. So I welcome you to explore further. If you want to deep dive uh, into, you know, give us further insights. I'm okay with that too. You know, we can take a pause. Okay. Well, so what I'll say is, you know, the example I shared of the negative Google review or the negative online review, right? Like you can take that as an opportunity, but let's think about an example of a business owner during the COVID shutdown where, you know, that's a time where that feedback is probably not helpful. That is not a time where, you know, you get this one-star review because someone said that your service didn't do a great job of doing a, a pickup order when that's something that your business just learned how to do because of a, a global pandemic and the related shutdown orders. You know, that's a time time where my hope for anyone involved in a scenario like that is I don't think that that's an opportunity to sit down and question like, oh my goodness, what could we have done, done better? Like you're doing the best you can and things happen. Um, I would even say, you know, Jason, I just loved how you had such a positive attitude as we were starting our podcast today. You know, we did an audio check. We both signed on early. We did our audio check and then, man, we started this podcast and it was not working. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you had such a positive attitude as you trouble, you were troubleshooting, you were fixing it. You know, if somebody had something negative to say to you about that, like, oh, I logged in and I couldn't, you know, I expected it to start right away and, and I, I'm really disappointed. I would hope that you said thank you for your feedback and then moved on and never thought about that again. Because there's, there's nothing you could have done, honestly. Things happen and sometimes we have to troubleshoot. So I think that's where I mean we think about the resources that we have and the control that we have over those situations before we decide, am I going to try to do something about this feedback? And that's part of kind of protecting us, protecting ourselves from, from criticism that we really can't, we can't do anything about it. I, I totally agree. I want to ask you uh, like another follow-up thing uh, you know, around the same question. Have you observed when clients try to blackmail you with a negative review? <laughs> like, I don't know if anybody has come across that situation, but I had many clients blackmailing me for free shit. Like, yes. So in that case, what would be your reaction? I just want to know your opinion. Like, what would you do? I would, I'm going to give you a negative review if you don't do this for free, whatever. I kind of want to flip it on you and ask you what you've done in these situations. Because all, all I'll say back to you is this happens all the time. I think it's in, incredibly awful. Uh, but this happens all the time. And all I can say is if this happens to you, you try to get as much of that in writing as you can. Because then if that person does do a negative review, you can kind of prove like, 
they told me that they were, they blackmailed me and said that they were going to do this. And most sites will then will then remove their review. But what? How have you dealt with this? I said piss off, like. <laughs> <laughs> Like I didn't do much of an explanation. Yep. I said piss off. Like I don't really care. Like what you put through. Like your one review is not gonna damage my business. Like I have built yeah. a reputation. I have worked hard to build my business up from the past three to four years. I've slogged myself, and including you, Doctor Sarah. And I'm sure many entrepreneurs don't realize we really slog ourselves to make even one penny or a cent. Okay, it is a challenge. Uh, to get customers yeah, is a challenge. Yeah. To complete projects is a challenge. To to you know to acquire or do marketing, advertise everything is a challenge. Not simple as it as it appears. I think entrepreneurship is one of the most hardest thing which is out there, and and you really require you know a lot more than courage just to just to be in this whole thing. Mm. According to me, you're right. Okay, so let's let's I love, your, I love your response. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's great. And at the end of the day, I think we both said the same thing, which is like the answer is not, oh, you're gonna post a negative review if I don't do what you want. Okay, I'll do what you want. Like neither of us went there. Because at the end of the day, I mean, that wouldn't be the avenue that I would suggest. I'm not gonna say always or never. I don't like advice that's either always do this or never do this. But overall, I think we both said the same thing. Like you gotta do, you gotta do what's best for you. And you have to trust that. The, if you're working really hard and you're sticking to your values and you're working with clients the best that you can, then the good is going to outweigh the bad in your reputation. Absolutely. I, I agree with you 100%. So my next question to you is that how can individuals and companies develop uh, or develop, I always get confused how to pronounce that word, you know, develop a thick skin Okay. Yeah. Uh, when, okay it, yeah. when it comes to handling criticism and what benefit does it bring? And I'm really interested in knowing about this thick skin because, you know, many people, there are a lot of videos, tons of content out there ask you, you know, to be like a dinosaur, be like a rhinoceros, like develop that kind of skin that, you know, <laughs> you don't care shit. But sometimes, you know, people would take it to an extreme level, you know, maybe people are genuinely saying things to help you improve. But you have this thick skin and it doesn't affect you. Like, you know, <laughs> it is like a sheet. Oh, so, I, love I don't know. This. Let's, let's hear your thought yeah. on this. I am so glad that you asked this question. And I can't thank you enough for phrasing it in the way that you did. Um, because I have heard all my life that to be successful in entrepreneurship or really even just in business, that I needed to develop a thick skin or a thicker skin. Um, but the problem is that just for me personally, I've, I've never been able to grow one. Um, my skin is my skin. <laughs> so what does that mean for me? Um, for a long time, I thought that it meant that I wasn't supposed to be an entrepreneur and that if I couldn't figure out how to get a thick skin and I was trying, I mean, I was trying and trying to, to grow a thick skin, to develop a shield, where I wouldn't feel other people's judgments. But it's just, it's not me. Um, I'm someone who wears my heart on my sleeve. I've always been that way. Um, and for a while, I thought that that, I was at least afraid that that maybe meant that I didn't have, I, that I, I'm not built to be an entrepreneur, that I don't have what it takes. Um, and one night I was at an event and one of my mentors actually told me that I needed to be more of a shark. And I remember I had 
just like such a reaction to that feedback. Um, I actually got quite upset. That, that is really and interesting. So could you explain yeah. what did what when he, when he said be a shark? Okay. Yeah. Are, are you referring to like those venture capitalists out there on Shark Tank videos <laughs> or is this something else? Like I am, I'm really interested in knowing what, what kind of shark yeah. he wanted you to become. I think you're exactly right. I think he was picturing like the Shark Tank vibe, right? Of like the VCs, like be a bit more vicious, be tougher. Um, at the time, he was kind of complaining that he didn't feel like entrepreneurs in our ecosystem where I live were hungry enough, that they weren't ruthless enough. And um, I remember he said that. He said that I needed to be more of a shark and I got upset. And my first thought was, you know what? There are enough freaking sharks. I remember thinking like, <laughs> there are enough sharks. There are enough sharks in entrepreneurship. There's a whole sea of sharks in entrepreneurship. And that just means that around here, all problems are going to be solved with teeth. And I'm not a shark. I want to be who I am and I want to be an entrepreneur. I want both of those things to be true. I want to be who I am. I don't want to be a shark. I want to be who I am and I want to be an entrepreneur. And I just felt like, like talking to him, I was like, you can't tell me that I have to grow teeth in order to do the kind of work that I want to do. Um, and I still believe this. I, I think that there is room for me in entrepreneurship. And honestly, I think I think entrepreneurs are on this planet to solve big challenges. They're the ones who are going to help us figure out climate change and sustainability and healthcare and world hunger. Entrepreneurs are the innovators who are going to help us solve these problems. So we need entrepreneurs who aren't just solving problems with teeth. We need all kinds of brains working on these problems. I don't have a problem with sharks. I think that people who can grind really hard. I mean, I, I respect that. I'm not saying it's bad to be a shark. I'm saying it's bad to tell everyone to be a shark in order to be an entrepreneur. So to answer your question about thick skin, I think the best thing we can do, honestly, as entrepreneurs is find people who we trust, people who we respect, and make sure that we're opening up spaces for those people to give us feedback. So I don't think we have to develop thicker skin. I think we have to be more intentional about who we listen to. And maybe some people would say, well, that's thicker skin to tune out the voices of people you don't want to listen to. I, I don't think of it that way. For me, you know, I've been an entrepreneur for over 10 years now. I think that my business and my work are successful and impactful, and I never could have done it by changing myself into a shark. I did it by finding a community that supports me, the real me, who I am, and what my goals are, and those are the people that I listen to. This this is incredible. So I, I want to ask you a follow-up question. At some point, people take things way too seriously and they become obsessed with their idea. So in mm. that case, when you become when it becomes like an obsession, I'm not saying obsession is a bad thing, but I have seen many people who have like a dumb idea and they pursue it for a really long time. And, yeah. and they screw others and they screw themselves and the finances. So what would be your advice on that? Like, you know, be a shark or be have yeah. like a thick skin. I think they have like extra layer of thick skin because uh, do you think it's uh, they have their defenses up maybe because of a trauma, uh, maybe something mm. which they had in their childhood? Is that the reason why they may have like an extra layer of thick skin? Gosh, what a great question. I think, you know, I know 
the kind of entrepreneur that you're thinking about here. So this is somebody who, you know, everything we just shared about me not wanting to be a shark, wanting to be myself, that was more for folks who feel like people are coming at them and being like, oh, you can't do this. Your dreams are too big. You have to be more ruthless. You need to grind harder. Oh, you want to be an entrepreneur and have kids? That's not going to work. You have to pick one or the other. You're going to be too busy with your family. You're not going to be able to do this. That kind of feedback I can't tolerate. But that doesn't mean we don't listen to anyone. And so the kind of entrepreneur you just described, I can picture this entrepreneur. This is an entrepreneur that has an idea. A lot of times it's an idea for an app and it's like, I'm going to make this app no matter what. And I've seen people <laughs> sink. I've seen people sink thousands of dollars, you know, they've borrowed from aunties and they've, uh, you know, they've used some of their college tuition and they have put it all into this app. And everyone they talk to is like, I don't really get it. I don't know if this is necessary. And they're like, it doesn't matter. I believe in it. That I am not advocating for that. I do think that we have to, I mean, a part of entrepreneurship is learning from our customers and our clients. And if we're not finding people who want to be early adopters, if we're not finding market share quickly, we have to iterate. I'm not saying abandon our idea, but we have to change it. So there is this balance. At the end of the day, you have to be careful and intentional about who you take feedback from, but you can't live in a bubble where it's your idea or bust and you're not willing to iterate on that idea. So I think, is that the balance that you're talking about there, Jason, the balance yeah, between those yeah. two things? Yeah. I, I think, yes, you should not go way too extreme. Like have like a, I, I, I feel as an entrepreneur, we are prone to make mistakes. Okay. Mm -hmm. You would not be good at everything and you, you would have just a generic idea on things. And as you progress ahead, what I would recommend to listeners is that keep an open ear. Okay. Mm -hmm. Even if people say rubbish, hear them out okay if you have somebody who's doing the same thing as you do and they say they are great pay attention to them just observe mm -hmm. try to understand uh, and I, I i think you you would know like how to balance it out you know just don't be an ass just chill relax that's great life feedback yeah <laughs> that's great life advice yeah just don't just don't be an ass <laughs> All right, then my next question. Okay, my next question is really inspired uh, by the video which I watched. Okay, there was, mm. you know, failure really helped you to save your business. So this is actually a video. I would highly oh, recommend yeah. you guys to watch this on YouTube. Failure helped me to save my business. So my question is, how can businesses create supportive environment that allow employees to develop mm. resilience uh, in the face of criticism? And one of the reasons I'm actually bringing up the video part uh, with you is because there was a point in your life, Dr. Sarah, somebody told you and engraved in your head that if you if you want your business to succeed, you need to have a lot of manpower. You need to have a lot of employees. The number of employees yeah. in your business equate to the success level of your business, which is totally not true. Okay, why didn't you take us back Sorry. through time, share a bit <laughs> of that, and, and, and help us, you know, decode this question. Yeah, you're exactly right. So you've, you've done your homework. You saw my video on that. I had an opportunity to do a talk on how failure saved my business. And one of the biggest failures for me was I internalized this feedback exactly as you said, that in order to be a successful entrepreneur, you had to be growing your team and the number of employees you had was 
equal to how successful you were. And so in that, um, I made a lot of mistakes. And in the end, I had to, uh, you know, I reached a breaking point. And after that, I had to lay off an entire employee team of really good people. And um, that really shook my understanding of who I was to my core. I mean, I just, I wasn't sure I'd ever again believe that I could be someone who was capable of of building good things. Um, and I've actually talked about this quite a bit because I think I've said that exact sentence um, a few times, especially in the last couple of years. And the reason is we just have to talk about failure more. And I was so ashamed of the failure and honestly embarrassed, especially because it affected others, that it took me a long time to get to a place where I felt like I believed in my ability to be an entrepreneur again. And it's something that I still struggle with. But if I hadn't made that change, which all of that happened around 2018, can you imagine if I kept going, kept trying to scale in a way that wasn't working, kept that employee team, and then the pandemic shutdown had happened? I mean, my business changed incredibly in the course of a few months with big ups and then big downs and then big ups again, I would not have been able to sustain an employee team. So if I hadn't made that change in 2018, I would have had to make those changes during a pandemic, during a time where it would have been a lot harder for those wonderful people that I worked with to find other options for themselves. And so I'm very grateful. I couldn't see it at the time, but that failure saved my business and it probably also helped a lot of other people as well. And so my biggest message to groups is to be aware that failure is not a four-letter word. Failure is not the F word. And if you find yourself talking about it that way or feeling shame about it, that is probably a signal that you need a community of support to help you look at what you're internalizing as shameful failure, to help you look at that in a different way, to help you understand that you're just making the best choices that you have and falling down doesn't mean that you can't get up. I also want to bring up something here because you mentioned, you know, how do we support our employees with this? Yeah, yeah. I was about to ask you the same thing because yeah. when all these things are happening as as entrepreneurs mm -hmm. you know usually we are occupied with too many things we want to bring cash flow and revenue all right it would be next to impossible to keep a track of you know what is the mental health of your employee what's happening mm -hmm. and running in their mind they are they are the ones who are actually facing your clients uh facing mm -hmm. the first level of engagement is happening there so if yeah. they were to deal with criticism internal or external mm -hmm. both what kind of support system would you recommend? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think you're exactly right. You know, as entrepreneurs, it is really hard to take care of people because as entrepreneurs, we're often already kind of struggling. And I, I would say this isn't just true for entrepreneurs. Really, anyone in a leadership position, you have a lot on your plate, and so it can be hard to take care of others. Uh, and I think there have been some folks on your podcast who have talked a lot about burnout and how important it is to kind of take care of yourself so that you can take care of others. But what I'll say in in specific in the specific conversation of criticism, what leaders and entrepreneurs can do is they can try to establish a sense of psychological safety for the folks who are working on their teams. That way, if those team members experience criticism when they're working with customers, they're in this really healthy place where they can be curious okay, I'm, I'm hearing that you didn't have a great experience. Can you help me understand what happened? How would you like us to fix it? I think that employees are able to go there and to remain curious, 
if they have a sense of psychological safety on their teams. And I'm not the first person, of course, who's talked about this, but the way that I research it is I look at feedback. And so if you told me, Jason, that you were you you were hoping to help your employees with this, I would, I would look at feedback and I would say, well, how are you currently offering feedback to your employees? Do they know that when they come to you, they can tell you about their failures and that you'll work with them and be collaborative with them? That will make them more comfortable in telling you when they've failed so that you can brainstorm as a team on how to, how to fix things. And that's much, much healthier. Something else I would share with you as a leader is I would share a piece of research. It's one of my favorite pieces of research. It shows that the act of asking for feedback or advice can lower our confidence. So by just asking you for advice, my confidence actually takes a dip. So if I said to you, you know, Jason, I'm, I'm thinking about starting a podcast, but I'm really nervous. Can, can you give me some feedback? This is my, this is my podcast idea. The act of asking you that has just lowered my confidence. So the secret I would tell you as a leader is one of the best things you can do is in the first thing that you do is you address that person's confidence and you do that by flipping it back to them. So you, you might say to me, oh, Sarah, that's so interesting that you're thinking about starting a podcast. I think that could be really cool. Why don't you tell me? Tell me more about your idea first. I want to hear more about that. If I have an employee come to me and they say, I'm really struggling with this client. Uh, they want to push up the deadline. I'm not sure if we can do it. Then I'll say, okay, I hear you. We can talk about that. What, what's your first instinct? What, are, what do you think we should do first? I, I flip it back to them. And it's not just because I want it to be seen as collaborative, which we talked about in the beginning, not, not having these one-way transactional interactions, but also I want to repair their confidence first. I'm aware because of the research that them asking for feedback might have lowered their confidence. And so if I address that first, they're going to be in a much better space to hear or discuss whatever it is that we need to talk about. Okay, so I am positive you have read a lot of books, which I also like to think in that fashion, for sure. Okay, so <laughs> okay, so let's talk about managers. Okay, a lot of mm. organizations do have managers. Some of them may be good. Some of mm -hmm. them may not be very bad. Have you seen those kind of managers who 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 don't really like to hear their employees out and? they think their ideas and their things are better. I have actually come across many managers yeah. similar to this. I'm not trying to go off topic, but what I'm trying to say is that if such an employee were to engage with such a manager, there would always be mm -hmm. some sort of conflict. So, yeah. so what would you recommend to those employees? Like what, yeah. what should they do in that case? If the support system so they tough. are looking... I mean, we say all the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm so and sorry. Keep going, keep going. I didn't mean to cut you back there, but I was saying that if the support system is not structured properly, if the leader they are mm -hmm. trying to reach out to is not healthy, uh, what would you recommend? What would you recommend mm -hmm. these employees? What kind of actions do you think they should take? Yeah, I love it. I love this question. And sorry, I jumped in as you were going in because I got so excited, but it's a great question. And I'm glad you added that last piece of, you know, what what, what can they do in this situation? I'll be completely honest with you. My first reaction is like, update that resume, right? Like that job market is hot. Like <laughs> people don't leave jobs, they leave managers. And, <laughs> and if you have this manager, that's like the curse of the expert, right? Like they're just so used to being the expert that anytime you even start talking, they jump in and tell you what you should do. And I've had managers like this, right? Where 
I start to explain like, oh, we're experiencing a problem with this. And they start telling me how to do it. And I'm like, no, no, no. I, I know how to do the task. I want to talk to you about this communication issue that we're having around the task. You're not listening to me. That can be so frustrating. Often, it's really hard for employees to connect with managers who are doing that because the managers, that's just how they are right then. They are in this curse of the expert. They are seeing everyone as folks who will benefit from the knowledge they can provide. It's a dangerous place for a manager to be. I think what I would say though is if you're in a job that you really like and you want to help this manager, start with a shared goal. So maybe you and the manager are concerned about um, employee retention, right? Folks are leaving your team or you know that they could leave your team and you want to keep employees. Then you could say to this manager, I have some ideas for um, how we might help people to feel supported uh, because we we both care a lot about employee retention. We we both are really, really concerned with making sure everyone on the team stays here this year, right? And so once we establish that shared goal, then I think the manager will be more open to say, okay, what are your thoughts? And you might say as an employee, I think we need more time for feedback. I think we need more time where folks can say what concerns they have, and then people can provide feedback. So establish that shared goal. That might be one way. The other way is, you know, update that resume. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I like what he said about updating your resume because I think that's something which I would have done also. Like, you know, sometimes after a certain age, I feel that managers don't change. You know, it becomes a part of their personality yeah. and it's too hard to like groom them uh, to another I level. Know. Anyway, and I don't want to complain yeah. more, but, you know, I, I want to go ahead and ask you my next question. Now, guys, if you're listening to okay. us on LinkedIn, I know many of you are excited to throw in some questions to Dr. Sarah. You're welcome to uh, raise your hand. I will be happy to bring you up. I just have a few more questions which I would be asking Dr. Sarah, and then we'll start with Q&A. All right, so, so my next question to you is about the psychological barriers. So what are some common mm -hmm. psychological barriers you have observed based on your professional career uh, with, that mm -hmm. makes it difficult for entrepreneurs to handle criticism? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, I can tell you what I've seen in the research, um, but I'll just start with the metaphor. I Look, advice, I think it, we're better off if we think of advice as arsenic. Um, you know, arsenic, too much of it can kill you, right? It's a poison. But very small amounts of arsenic are often used in some medicines. So I think that we should start thinking about advice that way. We don't currently. Advice is everywhere. We have this really toxic advice culture. We are so quick to give people advice. Somebody starts talking to me about, you know, an exercise routine they're doing, and it's so fast where I'll be like, oh, well, have you tried um, we talk to each other about the foods that we should be eating, the books that we should be reading. Somebody starts to tell us about their business idea and we jump in and say, oh, have you talked to this person? I mean, we just, we jump there too quickly. And I think anyone who's listening, I think if, if you leave this session and start trying to pay attention to when conversations kind of disintegrate into advice giving, it happens so fast. But I'm not saying that we should never give or, or receive advice. We need it sometimes, just like arsenic is in some medicines. Um, we just need to be more judicious about where we share it. Um, and I think as an entrepreneur, I had to learn everyone wants to give you feedback, even people who have never owned a business or who have never owned a business like yours. Like People just love to tell you how to run your business. And so learning that, learning that you're going to get a lot of feedback is important for you because then you can start to learn, okay, I'm going to get a lot of feedback, but I'm going to be really intentional about who I listen to. Um, 
I want to talk about the psychology part though. A lot of research shows us that when we receive especially unsolicited advice, but really it can be either kind of advice, solicited or unsolicited. So advice we've asked for or advice that we haven't asked for. It can activate our fight or flight response. So our bodies can literally react as if we've been threatened. Um, it can increase our stress level and it can make us perceive that we're being judged. And there's also this interesting research that shows that when we give advice, we feel a sense of power and influence over others, even if our advice isn't taken. Like simply the act of giving advice makes us feel a sense of power. And I think that that's really dangerous and that we should be aware of that. Um, so knowing the psychology behind it, some action items, uh, one, it's to remember that it could be the best advice in the world. But if someone feels judged or threatened when you offer that advice, they're likely not going to take it. So it's not about whether your advice is good necessarily. It's about finding the right time to give that advice and making sure that you have a relationship with a person before you give that advice. And that is really hard for some people. They want to give their advice when they want to give it. And so what I would remind them is just the research behind it. You could have the best advice in the world. But if you deliver it in a way where someone feels judged or threatened, they're simply not going to take that advice. And then this idea of remembering as a leader, giving advice gives you a sense of power. And so you have to be really careful that you don't abuse that and that you recognize how that makes you feel. And hopefully that can help you be more careful not to uh, abuse that. So that's what I would say about the psychology behind it is just pointing to some of that research. That That is incredible. Don't be an advice monster. See, there is this application uh, which <laughs> I was a part of and my good friend Leslie has also joined. So we all were a part of this uh, social audio app called Clubhouse and you would find a lot mm, of advice mm -hmm. monsters roaming around in this platform, <laughs> you know, trying to, uh, you know, share advices and actually see the thing is uh -huh. I, I met a lot of good people out, out there in this app as well. And I, I met a good big chunk of people who just were giving bad advices to people. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so in, in terms of, you know, obviously, you know, not all advices are that, that bad, right? Some advices definitely help right. you getting it from the right people. So, what would you recommend entrepreneurs, you know, who are just beginning and they're trying to work around like a way mm. to find the right person who can like give them a direction, could be a coach, could be a mentor, could be someone else. What mm -hmm. would you recommend uh, for those kind of individuals? What kind of path would they should take or what are the things they should look yeah. out for? I can tell you what worked for me. Um, I went and found people who had businesses or lifestyles. Okay. So businesses is in the kind of business that I have or lifestyle is in, they were an entrepreneur and a mom. Um, I went and found people who had the businesses and the lifestyle that I was hoping to have. And I asked them who their coaches and mentors were. And that has been my most successful way of, of finding the right people because you know how it is. And I know you've seen this too, Jason. I mean, there are just so many coaches out there right now. It's a really growing industry. Um, we're seeing more and more folks who have been successful in business retiring. And those folks are often going to volunteer with groups that, you know, become mentors and give advice to younger business owners. But I think 
in both of those growing spaces, there are people who are eager to be seen as experts and who do get a sense of power from giving advice to others. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily, but that does mean for a younger entrepreneur, it is easy to find somebody who has advice that might be good for someone else, but it's not good for you. And because you're so new and you're starting out, it's hard to know when someone is giving advice that's good advice, but it's not for you. When I started my business, I had people giving me really good advice about how to develop a five-year business plan. That was not good advice for me. That is not how my brain works. And I was spinning my wheels working on this business plan that I was never going to use because I am somebody that truly has to learn by practicing and iterating. Um, when I wanted to start my first uh, newsletter, I just started it and it didn't go well at first, but every time I sent on an issue, I learned from it and eventually it got to a really, really amazing place. If someone had told me to just do a business plan until I had a perfect idea of a newsletter, I just never would have had a newsletter. That doesn't mean I'm telling you that you don't need a business plan. What I'm telling you is that until you get to where you've learned a lot about yourself and how you work well, there's a lot of good advice out there that might not be a good fit for you. So finding people who have the kind of business that you have or who seem to work in a similar way that you work or who have the kind of life constraints. And I say constraints. I mean, my kids aren't a constraint, but there are real barriers to the number of resources that I can offer my business that I have to consider. Find people who are in that same soup that you're in and ask who helped them and start there. That's practically some good advice which you have shared, uh, Dr. Sarah. I, I appreciate this very, very much. So let, let's deep dive into, you know, uh, just a few more questions. And I, I see a lot of people who have joined, Leslie, Dave, and Chris. Chris, you're welcome to ask questions. Stay on stage if you like so. So my next question is about how can companies use data and metrics to track mm. the impact of criticism to make a, an informed decision about how to respond. Now, this is my personal favorite question because is there a way how you can track this? Is there a way how you can measure criticism? Yeah, what a great question. I'm, af I'm afraid, Jason, you're not going to like my answer. You'll have to tell me what you think of my answer after since you said it was your favorite <laughs> question. But, um, you know, with this idea of data, there's this kind of, thought in business, right? That's what's measured is what can be improved, right? There's a big focus right now on collecting data, on understanding our metrics. Um, I think metrics are, are important, but I am so aware that they can steer us wrong. I have a beautiful example for this. So you mentioned in the beginning, I've had an e-learning company now for over 10 years. And there was a time where I, I got a call from, it was like a call center and they wanted to do training on a certain product because they felt like when anybody called in to talk about that product, the folks who worked at the call center were like forwarding that call to other people. They weren't handling this call about this certain product. Um, and when we went and did some investigation into what was going on. And we told the folks on the floor, like, hey, we want to do training around this. What we learned is they had started a compensation structure where employees were getting rewarded if they handled certain kinds of crisis calls. And so the folks on the floor were like, 
filtering through the calls, trying to make sure that they got these crisis calls because they would get a bonus if they <laughs> addressed them. And so it wasn't training that was needed at all, right? They were recording these metrics and they were saying, oh, these calls keep getting forwarded. I guess it's because people don't understand. Let's give them some training. And it's like, no, we need to look at the compensation structure. They're currently not being rewarded if they take those kinds of calls. So that was such an interesting example of like, the data can be really important. But we have to make sure that we're that we understand it, right? That we're analyzing it correctly, that we're not misinterpreting the story behind the data. And so I think metrics can be really important. But if you look at a metric and you right away say, oh, that's bad, you know, oh, our open rate on this is really bad, that means that this isn't working. It's like, okay, what if the the open rate isn't the metric that's tracking? What if people see enough in the subject line to remember that the event is coming up and they go and register. Well, then your open rate's not going to be very high, but if your registration is high, then maybe you're okay. I shared these examples because I just, I'm seeing a lot of this right now where I get called in and they're like, this number shows that these things are bad. And then we look at the story behind it and it's like, wait, it doesn't look like it's bad. Let's find out what's going on here. Um, so to your question of, you know, what can companies do if they want to use data to better inform their decisions, um, to improve their overall responses to criticism? I think having spaces where your organization talks about criticism and, and looks at the follow-up. So when a negative review is received, how do we follow up? Um, how often are we doing performance reviews? And when we do performance reviews, are we being honest when we provide critical feedback? And how are we supporting employees who are working on that critical feedback? That's, I think, really interesting work. And it takes, takes more time to decide what those metrics should be when you're couching it in all of that context. But that time investment is worth it because then those metrics truly are tracking things that can help your business, especially in this area related to improving based on criticism. So what do you think, Jason? Did I disappoint you with my answer? Because I didn't have a direct, like, yay data. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but see, I, I, I like the answer, but I'm still thinking, I'm just trying to process it because a lot mm -hmm. of comp companies out there, see, if you look at the Fortune 500 companies, okay, or mm -hmm. medium or large-scale businesses, which is out there, Okay, they would heavily, heavily rely on data. I mean, no matter what you say, mm. I used to work with JP Morgan. I used to work with Citibank. These guys were so much engrossed in data. According to them, data, you know, gave all the answers. If you look, okay, but when I became an entrepreneur, yeah. you know, I, I think really shifted. Okay, when I actually made my website, okay, my design website, Okay, when I was throwing things around, nobody used to actually visit my website, but I still used to get inquiries. And I had no idea why. I had mm. all the analytical IDs and all those things, you know, funny stuff all set up. Mm -hmm. And I had no idea how they were reaching out. And they also said that they had looked at my portfolio, my work, stuff like that. So I would say that intuition, okay, your intuition can also help you discover a lot of things. Uh, and yeah. and you should not totally ignore data. I think it's a it's a very good metrics. You should evaluate it uh, and just check and be reasonable. Like keep an open mind and uh, yeah. keep an open yeah, mind is. that you know you are gonna screw this at some point. It would not match. 
Okay, so be ready. And if that happens, okay, this is plan B. Like something on those lines. But I loved your answer and, and I appreciate you sharing it. So let's actually well, start. I think we're saying the, the huh? same thing there. And I just, I want to end it with this because I, I would be in a lot of trouble with a lot of the groups I work with if it sounded like I wasn't in favor of collecting data and <laughs> analyzing data. And, you know, there's a saying right now in tech that data is the new oil and it's all about who's going to refine it. And so I love it. I love that we have access to all this data and I do think it's going to help us unlock some really important insights. But I just want to amplify what you said, which is we have to be open-minded. We have to understand that there is often a bias in the data because data is collected by things that humans built and operates within human systems. And so we just have to be open-minded. We have to make sure that we're not just blindly saying, okay, the data say this, I'm going to do this. We have to make sure that we're interpreting it correctly, that we're analyzing for bias, you know, all of those things. So thanks for letting me add that. I, uh, I really appreciated the comments that you shared after that. So good discussion. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. So I'm going to quickly go ahead and uh, give a shout out to my sponsor before we start Q&A with the audience. So I'm going to play this audio track. Fast track your success by becoming a world-class communicator. My name is Jose Ucar. I'm a communication and public speaking coach and the founder of the World Class Communicator Program. If you pay close attention to the best communicators and most influential leaders out there, you will notice that they all have three things in common. A winning mindset, communication one-to-one -one skills, and public speaking. This is precisely how this online training course is laid out. The knowledge I provide in this training will enable you, amongst other things, to talk your way up the business ladder, become the influential leader people look up to, grow your personal brand and your business, deliver memorable and persuasive presentations, create enriching and long-lasting relationships, and much more. So, what do you say? Are you ready to become a world-class communicator? Join us today using this very special 75% off coupon. Just go to worldclass-communicator.com and enter JASON, all in capital letters, J-A-I-S-O-N. And I look forward to meeting you very soon. Okay, lovely. Thank you so much, Jose, for sponsoring the show. Uh, I do make a, a small commission whenever you make that purchase. Remember, it's not going to cost you anything extra. Uh, that's how we fund uh, the podcast. It's expensive to actually produce these shows. There is a cost of around 100 to 150 odd dollars per episode. It costs me to produce this whole thing. So anything which is which helps me to compensate that cost, I love it. So and I only allow my guests to promote or be a sponsor on my podcast. I don't do outside promotions. Just letting you know. So, Dr. Sarah, thank you so much. I want to welcome some of my close friends and new individuals who have joined this conversation. So, I want to start off with Chris. Chris, uh, thank you so much. Uh, he's on LinkedIn audio on my mobile phone. So, so Chris, I want to first of all thank you for helping us to do that sound check <laughs> once we started to go yeah, live. Yeah, thank you, Chris. And uh, do you have a question for Sarah, Dr. Sarah, or is there anything you'd like to contribute to this conversation? Well, first and foremost, Jason and Sarah, 
thank you so much for allowing me to be here. And I'm so humbled and honored that I could be able to help you out today. Uh, this one comes from for me about navigating the endless sea of critics. This is what I see when it comes to this dynamic of criticism. Maybe we can actually do it in this kind of dynamic. Maybe we can get it to a point that we have conversations that are rooted in curiosity and that curiosity that we choose over clash and maybe see that conversation as a climbing wall uh, with that changing perspective in mind to then get to the really common purpose that we all seek and be rooted in it and understand that and then it's almost like i share with people every day jason and sarah and everyone maybe if i can see what you see and then you can see what i see then we can all see what we should all see now granted we're not going to see eye to eye in every single thing but what we can do is foster that environment to such an extent the best question that i truly believe that we should ask is it's, it's literally it's two-folded number one why why do you see it this way why do you think it this way what's your thoughts about this and everything like that but even when it come into an organization dynamic or even a conversation or in any other aspect of your life this is the other question i think is the best question to ask not only of ourselves but of each other it's not what you do when you do what you do it's who are you and once we understand that from that perspective then our criticism can lead not only to clarity, but it could lead into collaboration that will uh, lead into a community and everything in between. Because again, we choose something far more significant and far more in, uh, insightful and maybe far more inviting because everyone has a place there within. And if you allow, allow those people to be in that place within that space, then that, they not only know in their heart of hearts that they are feeling like they're wanted and needed and they have a place that they say, this is not only my home, but this is our home. And you can create it in such mm -hmm. a way that it's not only a family that you work with, but it's also the same family that you live in when you think about it because the community dynamic crosses both spectrums because when you look at it, we're one in the same to such uh, that degree, but also what makes you, us so unique is our differences. And I will go to this great quote from Star Wars and I'll end it here. And I'd like to connect with each and every single one with you, and especially with you, Sarah and Jason as well, to talk about this and so much more. So here's my take with this great quote. Embrace others for their differences for that which makes you whole. I'll say that again. Embrace others for their differences for that which makes you whole. Because if we can embrace people on a whole scale, I truly believe what's called human development, it's going to embrace not only the dynamics of personal development, but it's also going to embrace the dynamics of uh, business development. We can not only become whole ourselves, but we can become more wholer because we're allowing that wholeness come from those very people that we work with each and every single day. Hmm. Wow, thank you for that, Chris. I was uh, I was just thinking about that Star Wars quote because that's something that we have been watching with our kids. And so uh, that got me thinking about how this relates also to 
really to parenting and and something that I try to do as a parent is to stay really curious. It can be so easy to make assumptions when, you know, your kids aren't listening or they're doing something you told them not to. And, you know, for me, jumping in and saying, you know, why are you doing that? Let's come on, be a good listener, do this. Um, I'm, that's usually when I'm coming from a place of frustration, maybe I'm tired. And so I really try to be in a place of curiosity and saying like, what's going on here? And there have been so many times where, you know, my kid was doing something and I assumed they were doing something wrong and that they weren't listening. And then I asked and it was like, oh, well, I was having trouble tying my shoe. And so that's why I didn't put it on or, oh, I found this in my pocket and, you know, it's my brother's. And so I was going to give it to him instead of coming to the car like you asked. I, there are just times where being in that curious space. And that has been such a humbling lesson as a parent that I have taken into the workplace. We make assumptions about why people are doing something. Oh, this person must not like me. They did this. They must not think I'm good at my job. They said this when, you know, that's our story. That's the story we're telling ourselves. And that's a, that's a recent podcast episode of yours as well, Jason, where you had someone on here talking about the stories we tell ourselves. And so I think being in that place of curiosity that Chris mentioned is is just so important. So thanks for that opportunity to share feedback on a, a guest comment. Jason, that was great. Awesome. Awesome. So Chris, would you like to ask a follow-up question before we move on to Leslie? Say that again, Jason. Uh, do you have like a, a follow-up question or comment you like to share before I move on to the yeah. next speaker? Well, the, 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 I think the, the best question that we can ask when it comes to those criticisms is again, why? Why do you have this criticism? Can we, can we use that criticism as a learning tool? I think everything in our lives can be an, actually an opportunity to learn, then that will turn into growth and that will turn into thriving again if we're allowed to occur because if we always think it about as a negative what is it always going to be about jason and, and uh sarah it's always going to be a negative but if we flip it around and flip our mindset that it is going to be a positive for us yes it might be a little painful in the beginning it might be a little kind of disheartening but maybe when we share something with somebody it doesn't have to lower our confidence to even get to that place that that's where we truly want to go. We don't have to hide that from anyone. And I truly believe if you share something with somebody and not only do you do a place from sharing it, but also you're actually wanting to know more. And yes, sometimes we might use a little criticism in there, but that's when that curiosity can set in. And the replacement of that criticism is to ask why. And then once we get down deep into how do we build this out? How do we make it better? How do we get you to where you want to be on that podcast or start your own podcast or whatever that might be? Then not only does their confidence be raised and it'll be, it'll be leveled up, but you too as well, not only as a leader but also as a facilitator and connector to get people to where they want to go. It's almost like this dynamic, and I end here. Leaders not only lead, but also they create more leaders and contacts. And also, with that being said, 
those leaders even create more followers in context. When that happens and you help others build those field of dreams for them, they will in turn help build yours. Great conversation. Like I said, Jason, Sarah, I'd love to have a great one-on-one with each and every single one of you. And uh, let's talk more. And I love this conversation. Have a great, wonderful Wednesday. Make it your day. And let's talk soon. Awesome, Chris. I appreciate this very, very much. Dr. Sarah, do you, would you like to share something before we move on? No, I just, you know, I wrote down and highlighted this word curiosity. I love how that keeps coming up. Thanks, Chris, mm-hmm. for this. Thank you, Chris. Thank you. Okay, I wanted to say high five to Leslie. Leslie is a close friend. Uh, how are you? So nice to have you here again on my weekly podcast. So do you have a question for Dr. Sarah or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Okay, so Leslie, I'm not sure if you if you are close. Hello. To... Oh, yes. Go ahead, Leslie. Sorry about that. I am multitasking. I am tacking up my horse to ride today in this beautiful weather. It's in the 50s, which is balmy in Pennsylvania and wonderful. That is my uh, downtime. I'm actually going to do Reiki on her after I ride her. So that's another, as Jason Mm -hmm. says, woo-woo thing. But no, realistically, first of all, thank you for such a wonderful job with all of your uh, having speakers on and just watching you grow and evolve, Jason. I'm so proud of you. You know that. And Jason and I go back and we have just been each other's cheerleaders through just trying to shift gears when things don't work and try other things Mm -hmm. to really, you know, maintain our dignity and also following that passion and that drive. And and what resonated with you, and I'll just quickly share because then I have to head out and I will listen is what you said about um, having like a, like a shark or thick skin. But for mm-hmm. me, I feel like that thick skin, I look at it another way. When you start gaining that wisdom and you get that drive of really listening to what you want to do, because there's so mm-hmm. many different offshoots, right, and avenues to get from one point to another yes. when you're driving and you put your GPS in. And that's the way I look at what I'm doing and how as I grow and evolve, it is so clear for me that I'm just going to go with that baton to be gracious and yet to know that that thick skin is when you feel that empowerment and you don't question everything Mm. and you don't have that fear and you keep walking with your head up high. So that's all I wanted to share with you. And thank you. Thank you for being a guest and thank you everybody for being here. No, thank you for that comment. That was so beautiful. And Jason, I loved the way that she reframed that. And I think, you know, the way that Leslie frames that, it's like, okay, I do want that. I want a thick skin. Um, I think what she's done so beautifully is, you know, usually when we talk about having a thick skin, it's this idea of somebody who can almost like bully their way out of other people's feedback or criticisms, right? And kind of say like, oh, no, no, I'm I'm tough. I don't have to, that doesn't bother me. But what Leslie has has framed it as is more this beautiful, like, I can let this pass because I have a North Star that I'm following. And so, you know, I see this, I hear this, but I know it's not for me. So it doesn't affect me because I'm I'm going this way. And and all the experiences that I have have given me the wisdom to be able to say I'm going this way. And so when she frames a thicker skin that way, it's so different from that almost tough guy approach that I would hear growing up as, as something that I needed to embody and be successful. And the way that she frames it, I think is really powerful because I think that's something that 
anybody, whether you're described as someone who's sensitive or wears their heart on the sleeve, I mean, anybody can can develop that kind of wisdom and that kind of confidence in following their North Star um, over time. So mm, that was just really beautiful. Thank you. Lovely, lovely. So, so thank you so much uh, enough for joining the conversation, Leslie. I want to welcome Dave uh, Furia, Dave Furia, uh, you know, to to this conversation. So I see that you are new. I want to let you know that this conversation is being recorded. By being on stage, you're giving me consent to move ahead with this recording and use it for my podcast or other marketing plans which I have. <laughs> so, if you do you have a do you have a question or do you have a comment uh, with this conversation we're having? Dave, uh, please flash your mic if you're available. All right, so we have a silent Dave. <laughs> All right, let's move on to He's offering si silent support today. <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead with Thomas, all the way from Australia. He's a regular listener. Uh, so thank you, Thomas, for your patience. Do you have a, a question, or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Hi, uh, hi, Jason. Um, Hi, Dr. Sarah. I hope, hope you're well. Uh, I came on late um, because I woke up, um, and I woke up because it's it's early here. But I did listen to the last twenty minutes, um, and in particular the the comments and kind of statements that um, Chris Berryman and Leslie mentioned, and I, I'd just like to endorse kind of both of them. Um, and uh yeah just just say especially on on chris's side you know the word curious and curiosity i think i'm i've become very curious over the last 12 months um and i think sometimes i get into trouble for asking too many questions um and i think um some Sometimes <laughs> I get into trouble trouble with my wife who, who who says I have VD, which is short for verbal diarrhea. But the thing was, or the thing is, like if you don't ask the question, you don't find out. And so what I've found is by asking sometimes the tough question, you get kind of so much back in in the conversation or in the interaction or, or whatever it is. And that's what I've found. It's increased the level of engagement and the level of communication that, um, you know, I've experienced. And um, yeah, I just, look, you know, I won't say anything else, but I just think it's, um, it's a kind of a nice tool, if you like, to, um, to have and yeah it's certainly yeah. i've found the last year has been a year of um kind of enlightenment in conversation so that that's pretty much mm. it thanks dr Sarah. that's really beautiful thomas and thanks for waking up with us um, i love that i think that what you just said about curiosity being a tool is so powerful because i think when we're in a space where someone is either offering us negative criticism, they're giving us negative feedback, they're angry, or we're feeling frustrated because of something. Anytime where there's that anger um, or that kind of conflict communication, 
curiosity can be such a great tool. And remembering that, remembering even if you're feeling angry or someone else is feeling angry that you can turn to curiosity as a tool, it can be so powerful. And I've found for me, when I'm in spaces where there is this conflict communication, if I use curiosity as a tool, it's almost like it deflates the balloon a little bit. So if you picture this balloon that's like holding anger and frustration, by just recognizing, you know, I see that you're really frustrated. Can you help me understand what is it that's frustrating you the most about this? Okay, what what are you hoping to get from this conversation? What is it that, that you're feeling like I'm not understanding? Asking those curious questions, even if I'm feeling some of those conflict emotions too, it just – it just deflates that balloon so much and that makes the conversation a lot easier. So love this idea of curiosity as a tool. And I think that's that's a great thing to talk about whenever we're talking about conflict communication. And just one other thing. Um, I think uh, from Jason's question, it sounded like you're, or you've got kids who are quite young. I'm guessing maybe eight or ten maybe. But <laughs> I, I do. Have I have a, a nine-year-old and a two-and-a-half-year-old. Okay, so under under double digits. But uh, I've got a I've got one one uh, son who's who is double digits. Who's sweet sixteen, and uh, in uh, in about eight years, you'll you'll realise you'll go through what I'm going through, and that is it's hard. And uh, you know, a sixteen-year-old boy who's gone through two years of COVID um, and all the rest of the shenanigans. And um, and I think, you know, when I ask him, hey, hey, mate, you know, why why you kind of think that way? It, it, it does help to diffuse mm. that, um, that balloon a bit. And uh, you've got to diffuse those balloons when they're 16. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you for that. It's like a uh, insight into my future. I can't say, you know, you you want them to stay little for as long as they can. So I can't say I'm excited about that, but I know it'll come. So I'm glad to know that that's a tool that yeah. I can continue to use to try to connect with them. That's beautiful. Thanks, Thomas. Everything comes. The future comes. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much for that, Thomas. And I, w I want to welcome Wade to this conversation. So, so, so Wade, how are you? So nice to see you. Do you have a question for Dr. Sarah or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Wade, uh, please unmute yourself. Okay, he might be away from the phone or something, but you know, I have Dave who joined the conversation again. So Dave, please unmute. Oh, so. Uh, do you have a question or would you like to contribute to this conversation? Uh, hi, Jason. Hi, Jason. Yes, hi, yes. I hi, can hi. hear you loud and clear, my friend. Thank you so much okay. for being a part. Uh, and thank you so much for uh, all the time, your invitations, which have been coming with me uh, against this podcast and all. So thank you so much, Jason. And uh, thank you so much, Dr. Sara, for sharing a very good part about the criticism and all so my just point over here is just want to say is that criticism depends upon the criteria which is coming across as a for an example the way suppose a person as you told that a person is working in a call center okay so at call center 
and might have some many of the uh, colleagues of her or him like uh, who are sharing uh, negative feedback or uh, uh, pull, uh, pulling up their legs and uh, moving them back and don't, don't go ahead and don't, don't do this yeah you will be uh, not be successful in your life and all so this kind of uh, criteria has been there in the criticism but map according to me the criticism should be very clear as how we help it it should depend upon the others hmm right so mm-hmm. like what, what uh, do you mean suppose... uh, like it should help others do you mean like criticism you're supposed to give criticism with the intent that the other person grows is that what you mean right okay right criticism means a type of solution we should give to the others where he should be gathered like everyone knows from uh, from small as i'm an indian so from our uh, small from our mother what we get the mother first told us like the the, the criteria which you did was wrong but ultimately she after a minute she also explained that the way you did was wrong and this way you should be dealing with so like suppose uh, don't take it personal jason suppose uh, dave is talking to jason and jason want to uh, get that information very like uh, directly but dave is direct, uh, like informing uh, step by step this should be done but jason knows the step by step just he need the answer so the way we answer it depends upon the how the person is taking for granted for us right jason hmm let's let's actually hear dr saras thought on this what do you think yeah so as we're talking about this i think that um there's just such a great point here about it really depends on the person so i think there was the point of you know somebody might might want something big picture and if you're going step by step like here's how you do it and the person already knows that then that's that's not helpful even if even if that information is correct even if that step by step information is correct if that's not what the person needs then it's not helpful uh, but something that i wrote down is this word clear this idea that feedback that is helpful should be really clear. And I just I wanted to highlight this because we see this in the research where sometimes when people really want to be nice, what they'll do is they'll provide really general feedback where they'll say like, "Oh, no, no, I think I think you're doing a good job. Just just keep doing what you're doing because they're trying to be nice and they don't want to sound negative." But what we what right? And what we see in the research is that's actually not helpful. And so what you want to do is say I have specific feedback for you. Maybe I have some feedback where I feel like I can help you to be a better speaker and I want to offer you that feedback. Then I would want to have a clear conversation with you about it. Now first, I want to make sure that you are currently taking feedback about speaking, that I'm somebody that you want to talk about it with. If all of those things are true, then I might say I notice when you speak that you use some filler words. And the filler word that I hear most often is um. And I'm wondering if instead of saying um, if you could try to focus on your breathing. I think that that would help you slow down a bit. Otherwise, I really enjoyed your content. And I'll be honest with you, I think I only noticed that filler word because you asked me to listen to your talk for feedback. I don't think it was distracting to others, but as you work to get to that next level, that is something you could choose to focus on. So that's a way to provide that feedback it's very clear and i would argue that that would still be considered friendly and kind because i'm trying to help you and i think that's even more kind than oh no no you did great you did so great don't fix anything 
so dr sara like the part which you gave is the feedback like uh, everyone likes the feedback according to their ways they are, they, are, they don't want the feedbacks they don't want the feedbacks in the front of others if suppose they are they are getting the feedback by their own and whatever the inputs they want to uh, do which they want to do by their own means they are thinking i think uh, day before yesterday i have seen one uh, uh, image in that it was been written very clearly like while uh, a person is going for an interview there are four to five rounds mm-hmm. which are been taken right so for that purpose why the person is going out of the company and looking for some other opportunities so why is there any mm-hmm. single round being taken for themselves is it necessary or not jason sir yeah so let me make sure i understand your question are you saying that during those rounds of feedback in an interview that the person could try to use one of those rounds to share their own feedback on the interview process right. or about, what am i missing about there about the right uh Uh, like i would like to rephrase it uh, while inter- getting an interview while getting into a company the company takes four to five rounds of interview right so after that while the person is going out of the company there should be a one round of interview what about the company he he got to know and what he learned from the company mm mm-hmm. is it not important I think if I'm interviewing for a role, I want to make sure that I'm also making it clear to the company that I've done my research and that I've learned this about the company. And maybe after those rounds of interviews, I would hope that the company would ask me what it was like interviewing with them and what I learned about them. I think that's a great place to learn for feedback and you know Jason that's kind of interesting. We didn't talk about this today, but just the current war for talent and the way that it's going on with trying to hire employees, right? That's a difference maker where companies can start asking for critical feedback about what it's like for folks who interview with them. So that's an interesting idea. right it's an interesting idea why because because after i also done a research on it and uh, i found that it is it is really very important for not not for a smaller organization for every organization it has been important even in india as well so what are mm-hmm. the organizations would do, do they do just they just uh, uh, take the documentation do the process they are not even bothered bothered about the uh, candidate or the employee who has work was he has learned his learned good things or what rumors is going to spread outside of the organization mm-hmm. so don't even they think about it so mm-hmm. the like overall this kind kind of like pulling and the criticism this kind of generates from inside itself so the the hr or the interviewer or the organization member the senior person should do this kind of research and all so which can help and which can uh, mm-hmm. as you said in the beginning i remember that uh, while conversation everybody doesn't like the conversation directly right you told that you are providing me the uh, suggestion you are providing me the feedback you should be doing this suppose a mother is uh, uh, scolding to his son yeah like um, you should um, be doing this yeah i'm i'm so sorry dave i i didn't mean to interrupt uh, you know the flow of this conversation but no problem jason you know i i want to be very respectful with dr sarah's time uh w- how about you know let's actually take this offline and we can discuss and dissect this a little further okay i i want to end is that okay with you brother is that okay no no problem jason 
Okay. I'm so sorry. I didn't expect. Thanks for all your questions, Dave. Yeah, I could have, we could keep talking about that all day, but Jason, you're right. I didn't have an eye on the time. We got to keep this conversation moving. Dave, thank you for bringing up those points and kind of extending us there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so Dr. Sarah, you know, let's wrap this conversation up because I know we just have a few minutes. How can people reach out to you for your expertise? Can you give us a, a synopsis of what your expertise lies? Like professionally, what does your business offer and mm. how can people reach out to you? And and if there is any events, promotion or, or anything, you know, speaking engagements which are currently happening, which you like us to be aware mm-hmm. of. That is a great question. Thank you for asking it. So the best way for folks to reach out to me is through LinkedIn or email. You can find more information about the talks that I give at saraglova.com. And I would say that for organizations who are thinking about bringing a speaker in, if you're interested in a speaker who can make some of these professional development topics come to life, whether it's communication skills or a blueprint for innovative teams or uh, whether you're hoping to talk about this idea of how to give feedback in your organizations or to have a culture that is okay with giving and receiving feedback and that does that with good intention. Those are all topics I'd love to bring to your organization. So checking out my website to learn more and then connecting with me on email or LinkedIn would be fantastic. And then the company that I have is focused on e-learning and online training. So for companies or organizations who are putting their training online, those are the kinds of projects that we work on. So Jason, thank you for that opportunity to share that. I really enjoyed the opportunity to talk about this topic specifically about uh, critical feedback and what to do with it. If anyone wants to continue this conversation, I'm happy to. As Jason mentioned, I've talked about it a couple times online, so I can send some more resources if that's helpful. Absolutely, absolutely, and 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 thank you so much, Dr. Sarah. According to me, this was ha- this has been such a phenomenal interview because I grasped so many interesting things and I have learned so many interesting things. Uh, in fact, eye-opening things from this conversation. It clarified a lot of doubts which I personally mm-hmm. had. So thank you so much uh, for your expertise Love to hear that. and your knowledge on this front. I'll be wrapping up the show. So Dr. Sarah, I'm, I'm completely okay if you have to leave the stream. Uh, I just have a few announcements to make. I thank you again uh, for being here. That was very, very generous and kind of you, even though we had the technical glitches. But Thank you. You know, you you were kind. No, you were great. Thank you for getting it all kicked off well. And you figured it out on the spot, which I think speaks to your expertise. So this was so much fun. Thank you for the opportunity to talk about a topic that I care so much about. And just know that I am going to continue cheering you on. I love what you're working on. I think it makes sense that you have a lot of followers on this topic because you're bringing these real conversations to life with some people who I know I've loved to hear from in your past episodes. So thank you, Jason. Absolutely. Absolutely. Please reach out to Sarah, uh, Dr. Sarah Glova at sarahglova.com, G-L-O-V-A.com. I have it on the event notes or the show description, just in case. So I'm going to be making a few other announcements. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Sarah. Okay. So the announcement which I'm going to be making is about the next week's show. So next week, we're going to be having a very interesting topic. Uh, The topic is going to be how to actually make a movie. Now, you may have heard about a lot of Hollywood directors speaking about movies they have done, produced. But, you know, nobody kind of knows that, you know, what are the intricacies of filmmaking? What are the steps 
procedures how does a story come into life on the big screen so i have a film director uh, she's going to be speaking about giving us insights on how the whole process goes step by step methods from start to the end that's going to be live streamed uh, on linkedin audio and clubhouse as well as twitter spaces feb 15th at 12 pm eastern standard time so on that note i just wanted to personally say thank you to all my listeners alma mark thank you guys for staying till this very end wait i'm so sorry i couldn't address your question but i think a part of it was uh, there i'll be happy to share this with uh, dr sara you can reach out to dr sara directly if you like to uh, i will send you her profile details so thank you so much you take care of yourself wherever you are in the world uh, have a nice day morning afternoon evening wherever you are okay take care of yourself <laughs>